You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. What up, everybody, and welcome to episode 97 of 2, 5, and 10. You know, there might not be 99 problems with JC, but uh, there is one big problem in New York with Artemi Panarin. Benny, what up? It wouldn't be a podcast episode without something completely out of the norm happening to the Rangers or the Rangers organization. So par for the cor- course, I think. Par for the course. Well, you, you want to take it away and start with the uh, the star in New York who is in some trouble back home in Mother Russia, but it could be carrying over to here? Yeah, I mean, Artemi's got to change his uh, leg kick from an up kick to a leg drop when he gets back to Moscow, I think. But um, so completely out of the blue yesterday, that the Rangers announced that Panarin is taking a leave of absence for the team, and definitely there's really no timetable for his return. I personally don't think it's going to be too long here because, like, I can't imagine him sitting out like a month. So what's going on is a report surfaced out of Russia where the uh. A former, I guess at this point, former friend of Panarin and a head coach in a KHL and staunch Vladimir Putin supporter, Andrei Nazarov. You might remember him from his heyday of being a goon in the National Hockey League in the 2000s. Uh, reported that when, back in 2011, Panarin forcefully, with multiple blows, punched or shoved down an 18-year-old female and then punched her while she was on the ground. Uh, the Rangers released a statement immediately refuting that story, saying it's obviously a political hit job of Panarin, who is in support of the Russian opposition leader, who is now in, imprisoned in Russia after returning there. So obviously this is a very standard Mother Russia, Father Putin attack job on someone who's not a supporter of him. And using Nazarov, who's a really big supporter of Putin, to go after Panarin here. So... Like I said, Panarin's on a leave of absence. No timetable for when he returns. But we were saying this before the we started recording. How does Panarin, who is at this point a multi-multi-millionaire, not get any of his family that he's concerned about at this point in time out of Russia, knowing that he's not a Putin supporter, and that could lead to trouble down the road? Yeah, I agree with that completely. I mean, he he has made it big in the NHL. His current deal is 11 a year, plus all the money he's made before. You think everyone can come can come over? Um, obviously, with COVID, there could be some restrictions, but yeah, you think this already would have been taken care of years ago? Like you said, especially with his discern and distrust for Putin. I will say one thing is. If this incident happened, obviously, I do not condone it. But what I think is great about this is that the Rangers, like, they completely went against the cancel culture here. Like, this yeah. is our guy. We don't believe any of it. We support him 100%. Like, I think that's awesome. Like, you got your guys back. And as a player, he must feel like they're in my corner. They're backing me 100%. Like, we're good here. Obviously, yeah. do we know if the situation happened or not? No, why is it surfacing X amount of years later? Is it because he's making $11 million a year? I don't know, but 
I, I'm just happy that the Rangers did not just completely pull the plug on this guy out of something that is now just coming to fruition. We'll see if there's any sorts of substance to it. I'm just happy that the Rangers backed their guy. Yeah, and I mean, it's coming, to, it's coming out now because of everything, the political situation in Russia, and Panarin has been a recent, very recent vocal critic of Putin. So the timing, I, I think, helped contribute to the Rangers sticking by Panarin as much as they did. The other factor is, out of everybody on the Rangers, Panarin is like probably in the bottom five on a roster on news coming out that years ago he physically assaulted uh, a woman. Like, you would have to go through like 16, 17 guys on this Rangers roster before you even thought it would Panarin would be the name attached to it. So I think that's also a thing of, I don't, Obviously, you don't know somebody just because he plays in your organization or you're you see him play all the time. But in terms of temperament, like I feel like Panarin is way down there. And the other factor is he's your franchise at this point. Like Hank's gone. I uh, I know Fox looks real good on the back end. Mika is Mika, but Panarin's your dude. So I think this also sends a message to other players around the league of. New York is a class one organization. I don't think anybody has disputed that, especially off the ice, right up there with like the Bruins culture and everything else. And this is just part of that culture building of we know this guy, we trust this guy, and we're going to go go to bat for him here. Well, you did say one thing in that that is uh, at least uplifting. Hank coming out today with the video. He is uh, oh, yeah. up and running, uh, I'm assuming – Recovering from surgery, he posted a video of A, first he was driving, and then B, he was at the rink taking some shots. So a comeback for the King could uh, be a possibility. Yeah, I mean, it's a quick recovery. I wonder if he's just doing it as part of his, part of his rehab of like testing out the, the heart, getting in some cardio in, or if it's actually something where the doctors, like he's doing this so he can go to the doctors, get tested, and they can clear him or not. I would be stunned if he was cleared to play this year after having open heart surgery. If he's cleared to come back and the Caps don't win him a Stanley Cup, they should just fold as an organization. But I think this is more along the lines of just testing it out and everything else and seeing how it goes. He may get cleared to play next year. But at that point, is he going to go back to Washington? Is it something where now he's just going to play for like two teams after the Rangers to chase a cup? You know what I mean? So that's moot outside of it's great to see him healthy enough and active enough to be able to get on the ice and take shots, even if that's all it ever amounts to. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that he had open heart surgery, what, 10 weeks ago? Two, month, two, three months ago? So, I mean, just the fact that he's up and going, but at the point where he's putting equipment on and taking shots, I take that as a, a great takeaway. I mean, hopefully he's going in the right right direction. Like you said, who knows if he actually plays this year, but that doesn't close the door for next year if he's up and going, and I'm sure someone would take Hank in a heartbeat. So, I, I mean... There's definitely yeah. light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, and the other thing is, if... Even if anybody follows him on Instagram, he's been posting like recovery stories on his first runs, uh, just like videos of him giving like health updates. He's lost a lot of weight, so 
I don't know if he's in game sh- game shape at this point. So I think this is more so just testing it out and seeing what happens for next year. But I will say, the Seattle expansion draft is this summer. The Rangers, they might leave somebody like Gior- uh, Georgiev unprotected. And if he's claimed or if they trade him because he is, uh, Igor is coming up for RFA. They do have a couple of young kid prospects coming up. They may not want to keep a backup goaltender uh, making almost $3 million a year. If they move him, hey, there's an opening. Backup goaltender to Igor, Hank back in New York on a one-year deal. <laughs> All right, so you heard it here first. Hank back to New York next year. <laughs> one year, one and a half mil, playing playoff uh, incentives, and then make one more go of it. All right. Um, going on to at least the NHL, I would say it was a very quiet week outside of what had happened with I don't want to call it the Winter Classic, but um, taking it outdoors, I think this was probably one of the best outdoor settings you could ask for. Um, unfortunate with the first game with Vegas and Colorado where they had to push it back because the ice started melting. But I think the NHL proved something here, and the proof was that they can basically put the game anywhere now. I mean, they put it right next to the mountains there, I think going forward, they get away from stadiums and they make this. Listen, how good would it be if they built a rink in the middle of Central Park? How good would it be if they get a fucking carrier ship and they build one right in the fucking (laughs) Hudson River and you got the New York skyline? What if they do it right in the middle of the fucking Charles and you got the Boston skyline? Like, I think now they've proved they can put a rink anywhere. The sun was setting. There was snow on the mountains. It's made there. Uh, Make it happen. Like, make this as interesting as possible because I do feel like I love January 1st for the Winter Classic because you're hungover as shit. You're on the house, you're on the couch, you're watching hockey, all is good. But now, if you can put it to the next point like this, like, I get this was COVID. I get that you needed to do something secluded. I get that going forward, obviously, you want as much revenue as you can. So you, you can't just build a stadium in fucking Central Park, but like, how awesome was that, dude? Like, it was fucking incredible. Yeah, I mean, the view was great. And as somebody who has spent summer and winter in Tahoe, like, it was just nice being able to see the NHL there and know, like, the setting they're in, the, lo- the exact location they're in, and just being like, I can't believe the NHL is playing the game there. And it looked great. I will say, uh, besides the planty ice, what a complete fucking mismatch it was between the uniforms of the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, Vegas... I don't know what those jerseys are. I hate them. I hate the, the shade of red. I hate the logo. And then you see the contrast on the other side. They're very clean. I love the purple. I feel like not enough teams use purple as primary colors. But that helped with the setting as well. I know they, their initial thought before they settled on Tahoe, is Lake Louise in Alberta. And they decided not to do that because of the border restrictions and everything else. I do think that the Winter Classic will start coming into it like a Mystery Alaska type theme. And this is a good test case for it. I don't know if that means Winter Classic doesn't have fans anymore or if they do a thing where they have the Winter Classic on New Year's Day and they have like the big spectacle of it at a stadium for revenue generation and then they have this like that would be perfect it's like a heritage classic one of each would be perfect yeah so like next year they could have 
Edmonton and Calgary at Lake Louise, and then the Winter Classic could be what was it supposed to be? It was uh, Minnesota this year? and somebody. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they can have that. So if you guys want to Google image search Lake Louise, like that setting would be absolutely incredible for an outdoor game. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm even, a board with you. Even the year after they go to Banff, like I, I think yeah. Banff built into the to the way it's built in there next to that Marriott up there, like the Fairmont <laughs> they have. It looks like a Harry Potter castle. Like I think the NHL, if they do it right, they have endless options right now. And you need to strike while the iron's hot, especially with a new TV deal and everything else coming up. Yeah, dude, you can even have to help with Seattle. I know it's not necessarily within any of these teams' boundaries, but you have Crater Lake. You can have Vancouver versus Seattle in, in an outdoor game. Like, Google image search that shit. Like, if they can pull that off, that's another incredible at, uh, outdoor atmosphere they have. They should definitely have one in Alaska at some point. Alaska would be dope, like a real-life mystery Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> have the Rangers play up there. Yeah, all right, I guess. I mean, they, they only beat a bunch of nobody, so whatever. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I was a big fan of the setting. Um Maybe they learned their lesson and they'll have it be like a 4 p.m. West uh, Pacific Standard Time start instead of like noon uh, where it's like the height of the day with the sun. Yeah, they'll, they'll have to figure out all that when they get there. One thing I think they need to figure out, we brought up the Colorado Vegas game. Vegas, what is going on with the goaltending there? It seems like Mark andre Fleury is now back ahead of Robin Leonard. They have $12 million on the books for the next two years in goaltending. Is one of them gone, Benny? One of them has to be gone because they they were basically so pressed against the cap that they're running three centers on their depth chart of, well, we'll see what happens. Like they have William Carlson 1C, and then they're like, okay, we'll see if how Roy does. And Chandler Stevenson, and it's just like hoping for the best because they couldn't make any more moves. So... Uh, at this point, I think it's they're going to have to clear space there. The Petrangelo deal, yes, he's a great player, but I would rather have spread out that money a little bit more, to be honest, especially when you have a guy like Theodore already on the back end. Um, but we'll see. I do think one of them gets moved, and it's pretty surprising the way Leonard's been playing. 890 save percentage this year. Um, I know he's currently, what is he, day-to-day still at this point, but Flurry's been playing out of his mind this year. Yeah, and I feel like... Obviously, having incredible goaltending is its not a bad issue to have. But when you have $12 million on your books, that's tight, especially on a team that was trying to unload as much as they could right before. So, like, if you can take off another $4 million off your books, I mean, that, that opens up a lot, especially with the high-end numbers that they're paying. Mark Stone, 9-5. Max Petrietti, 7 William Carlson, 5'9", Riley Smith, 5", Marsha Show, 5", Alex Tuck, 4'7". Then you look at Petrangelo, 8'8". Eight, eight. You get Shea Theodore for 5'2", Alec Martinez for 4", and then Flowers making 7", and Leonard's making 5". Like, yeah, I think you have to move on from one of them just to alter your cap situation a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate what Vegas is doing. Like, they had that incredible first year, and you want to keep the thing going their prospect pool isn't that great their veteran core is getting up there like it's surprising for an expansion team to be kind of this old team wise uh i liken it to back in the day you had the florida marlins 
and uh, Arizona Diamondbacks. And Diamondbacks, like three years after playing, made it to the World Series and won with like an extremely veteran roster. And the Marlins were always rebuilding and young. So I appreciate what Vegas is doing. They're going for broke. I just think broke is going to be coming up a lot sooner than they probably hope for. Yeah, unfortunately for them. <laughs> um, in terms of the outdoor game itself, like your Bruins basically put on a fucking show against the Flyers. Uh, the only thing that looked good for the Flyers was Kevin Hayes being mic'd up. Uh what are your thoughts on the game itself and uh, like what the Bruins have been up to? Uh, so I will say this. I will not say we completely shit-kicked the Flyers due to, did you see how big their COVID list was? Like all their big names were on the COVID list. I know currently all the NHL is battling COVID and in and out, but I mean, there was some big names, Giroux, Lawton, Connectedity. Like those guys weren't even playing for Philly, so I'm not going to come in and say that we absolutely shit kicked them or anything else. You're not going to hear that out of my mouth. But um, Kevin Hayes mic'd up was absolute go- gold. How come? <laughs> How come? He's sitting there, and they're about to do a. You're in warm up. They're about to do one of the ones where you dump it in, you come in, you regroup, you take a shot on the goalie. And he asked the other guy, and he goes, Hey, how come it's called naked, but it's not called bacon? And dude, I fucking lost it. Like, it was hysterical. Like, I was not expecting that. Um, but I mean, in fairness, very good point by Kevin Hayes. I, I was not <laughs> expecting that. Uh, as for our weekend review, we had our Tuesday game against the Devils that was postponed. We played them Thursday. We ended up losing, and then we ended up going to Tahoe. Yes, we, we definitely got the better of the Flyers. We absolutely killed them in our pregame attire. Uh, pasta with the sunnies on there <laughs> coming out afterwards where he got interrupted because he was dancing to Barbie girl and he had to answer questions for the media. Uh, Very much a macho man slash Bret Hart in the mid nineties. Look, yes. Um, I think pasta starting to blossom into a superstar. The, the kid, the amount of goals he scored in as many games as he has played uh, the personality that he has. I think he's coming to the top. You push him along with Brad Marchand. You push him along with Patrice Bergeron. And I mean, I don't want to say the perfection line, but my God, the perfection line. It is. Um, <laughs> I hate that name, by the way. I mean, like, I fucking hate the perfection line. Like, oh, my God. It, nobody's perfect. Marchand's a fucking bag who takes stupid penalties. That's not perfection. He is damn near close, my friend. <laughs> and um, yeah, the, the boys are just playing. They ended up going into that game. Uh, Kevin Miller stayed back. David Krejci stayed back. Uh, not really an update on either of them. I guess Miller was just kind of maintenance with just the amount of games he's been playing and what he battled the last two years, so they kind of just kept him back. John Moore, my boy. Um, fuck, man. I-, I texted Phil and I texted Mainzy the other night during the game, and I said, John Moore is me. Like, KC Naughton <laughs> is fucking John Moore. This motherfucker goes into the lineup. Doesn't miss a beat. Has the same ugly skating stride I have, like bent over, hunched over, fucking wheeling your body as fast as you can. You get there, you get the puck, you get one clean pass, you're out of the zone, you come through, you're breaking up passes, and he doesn't miss a beat even though he's been out of the lineup since the beginning of the year. Like, he's played one game this year, and it's like, this fucking guy's me. And thank God Fastville sends me a great kudos as to every team needs... John Moore slash Casey, where once you get in the lineup, you know exactly what you're getting. 
And you're good. So I just think that now, Benny, now that I have been distinguished as a National Hockey League player, my, there's my comp. I think this pod needs to start paying me two seven five a year to, to just kind of. I got two dollars and seventy five cents somewhere. All right. Well, per I'm going to take that as a starter, <laughs> and, and maybe we'll fire up the GoFundMe. But um, no, it he, he steps right in and he plays good, and it's like fuck, man. Like we have that sitting on the bench. Eurovakaninen came in, played his first game up this year. He played good. Connor Clifton continuing to play good, uh, w- even with Matt Grizzlick out. The team's playing good. We got uh, one, two, three, four days off before we play the Islanders in Long Island. Then we play you back-to-back on Friday night, and then we play you again on Sunday. So yeah. I will see. Frederick with his first career goal. Frederick got his first career goal. He's still he's still impressing me. I mean, even when he hasn't been on the score sheet till. The other night, but every game he brings it. He's hard on pucks. He's a hunter. He goes. He gets forecheck. He fucking fights. Like he does everything you want a player to do. I, I think we have another star on our hands. Not not elite level superstar. A Boston star, like a la like a Milan Lucic, where th- this kid is going to be a Boston folk hero, where the fucking blue collar people here love him. And I I think he could probably expect a long career here. I think obviously not as talented, but also not as much of a fucking meathead, but I think he could be like a poor man's Tom Wilson. Yes. You know who gave me that exact comparison the other day? Fucking Mainzy. Spot on. He said he's not as big as Wilson is, but he's getting the job done. And the other part's going to be this. Right now, he is giving himself time and space. But now it's like if he builds on that through the years, he, he's going to be like Willie, where he's going to come down the wing and fucking, I'm going to go get the puck. I don't care if I hit you, your brother, or your sister on the way. I'm going to get the puck. I'm going to make space for whoever I'm playing with. And you guys are in for a fucking nightmare. Like, Should, so, should we give him a nickname, Albert, for Einstein, time and space? <laughs> uh, perfect. I like that already. We're going to call him Fat Albert. It's perfect. <laughs> the thing, so another an offshoot of the Frederick discussion is, what do you think his ceiling is like because Krejci is a free agent after next year Sweeney does not extend guys that are coming up for free agency especially guys who are at this point of their careers so he's probably going to be leaving Boston and then there's a big hole to see do you think he fills it Stanika like what do you think happens there I think Coyle will then make that jump and then they have to figure out as to where everything goes. Uh, I think Jake DeBrusque is still a huge question mark here as to mm. what the Bruins do with him in his future. Do they keep him? Do they deal him? Uh, Nick Ritchie contract year. Do they leave him unprotected and Seattle takes him? TBD. Um, he's another one too this year, that motherfucker. He's shoving it right up my hoop. He's still playing good every <laughs> week. I- I'm still expecting him to fall off the cliff though. And when it happens, I said it first. I said it first. <laughs> Um, you want to be wrong all year. That's how. That's the mentality I have. Like I want to be wrong all year about this guy. Yeah, exactly. I'm. I'm not changing. I'm not flip flopping now. Um, so, I think the Bruins, at least going into this off season, I know we're a long ways away from that. They do have some thinking to do as to. Someone brought up a thing the other day. Who's going to go unprotected? Is it going to be Frederick or Richie? It has to be Richie, right? I I would assume so. I think Frederick has a much higher ceiling, but it seems like every time Richie's on the power play, that fat fuck's just tipping in pucks or just banging them in. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, I want to see what happens Thursday against the Islanders. Like, can we finally get one past them, and then we've then beat everyone in the division, and we and we feel a lot better about ourselves. So 
excuse me. Let's get there, and then we play you guys back to back. And yeah, it should be fun. Should be fun. I was say there's a little. Uh, there might be some unfinished business from last time, so those games should be something to look forward to. Yeah, it's always good to also lose your franchise forward before the most grueling part of your schedule here uh, for the Rangers. The other thing I wanted to mention in terms of transaction-wise for the Bruins, Nashville is out of it, dude. I saw that same thing you're about to bring up. Yep, lay it on me, baby. Matthias at home. This is the only thing, at, at least for me being a forward thinker and going forward. I agree. Nashville is out of it. Um it could be because your boy's down there coaching. I'm not, you know, whatever is what it is. <laughs> but um, the only problem we currently have is we have a lot of young D-men. Mm-hmm. With that, there. do you think we bring in Ekholm, just throwing out there, we bring him in, and then do we leave one of our guys unprotected? Like, Because, you know, already off the get-go, we're keeping McAvoy, we're keeping yeah. Carlo. Uh, if we bring home Ekholm, we're keeping him. We're going to keep Grizzly or try to. And Connor Clifton's been playing out of his mind. Like, I, I just can't see you le- letting a right shot, right D go. I mean, you so, could always move him for yeah. a cheaper DeBrusque replacement. I mean, okay. like, if we ended up getting rid of DeBrusque at some point, like, I have no issue with that. I, I don't. I just want it to be well worth it. Like, like that's all. Because I feel like, Jake DeBrusque has Phil Kessel-esque written all over him where Ooh. we're going to trade him and then he's going to fucking light it up and everyone's going to say, see, I told you so. The kid can play hockey. You guys don't know what you're talking about. So I just want to, <laughs> like... The thing, with the, the thing working against DeBrusque is he was developed by you guys. If he was somebody that was brought in, as you guys are a second organization, and the expectations are, hey, he's a solid top-nine forward who can go on some hot streaks, I don't think anybody would be upset with what he's giving you right now but because you guys developed him and the fan base had all these expectations for him him not meeting those expectations even though he might end up being like a quality nhler he's doomed in boston like i think he might end up being a guy who just needs to get out of his first city for all that pressure's off him and he can just be who he is and i mean that could be it too i mean it it could also be because that that 15 draft that 14, 15, 16, yeah. like that that was a huge miss. So that could be it too. But now asking you just curiosity, Ekholm is under contract for this year and next year at 3.75, 30 years old. Is it worth the Bruins to do it? Like say he comes out of this at 32, do we give him another couple years and then on our way? Like I just, I don't know how to feel, especially with Seattle. Like Seattle's just my one thing that holds me back if it wasn't for the expansion draft this year i would say absolutely bring them in i think so the thing is you want to maximize the window that you guys have now that is almost close to closing up in the, over the next like what two three years probably and not saying that you guys are going to tank and be a bottom feeder but like legitimate you guys enter the season as a top three or four stanley cup contender like there's going to be a transition of phase at some point mm-hmm. i think Ekholm helps you with mcavoy and i know mcavoy is really developed this year as two-way game i think he fills that role nicely and you worry about his next contract when you need to worry about it and my only concern with the next contract is i don't feel like Ekholm is the type of guy that ages gracefully like his game like because he's a t- he's like edler in vancouver who i know is still around but he's overpaid now once 
he doesn't have a lot of offense to go with already. And he's not a physical, stay-at-home, shutdown guy. So once that offense goes, then he's kind of like just there. And it's like, okay, is he worth being in your top pair? Probably not. Is he your second-best left-hand shot guy? Probably not. So he could be an overpaid third-pair guy. So I think if the cost is worth it or good enough for you guys, you bring him in and then you just ride it until you need to make a decision. And, I mean, that could be it, but it's like – when you look at the other shit that's with it, it's like we already have John Moore at two point seven five. So yeah. to to bring in another guy who's a million dollars more, obviously Ekholm and Moore are on two separate things. But if we can keep John Moore on the bench and just bring him in as we need him, do we really need Ekholm? And that I don't know. I, think I just Ekholm don't is much know. better than Moore, though. No, no, I agree. I'm just saying that with everything the, that's the been going on, plus. yeah, it's like. I didn't even mention before Jeremy Lozon, who's been playing with McAvoy. Like I do like Lozon, dude. So it's like we're gonna have to protect guys, and I think we might have to go with what Nashville did a couple of years ago, and go with you need to protect more D's than forwards. So mm-hmm. I think that's gonna be uh, very interesting. And cream of the crop wise, Seattle's gonna have to pick an offensive guy because we're gonna protect our back end. All right. Well, you always want to protect your back end. That's what they say, pal. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, just quickly with the Rangers, um, we played the Devils. It was the first game the Devils played in three weeks because of their COVID outbreak, and they curb-stomped us again. Like, it wasn't even close. Like, that was really eye-opening. And after that loss, when the Rangers went on a road to Philly, Quinny had a ha- and his coaching staff had a meeting with J.D. and Gorton about, like, yo, what the fuck's going on? And they pulled out a, a win in the shootout. Uh, Kako and Panarin looked good in the shootout against the Flyers on the following Thursday. Then they played pretty well, uh, beating Washington on the road. So this is like a this stretch of games here, starting with their win against the Flyers last Thursday and their win against the Capitals on Saturday, is basically going to determine what this season is for the Rangers. Because right now, I they're six, seven, and ten, but basically they're they're six and ten uh, on a year. They're starting to lose ground in the playoff race uh, for one of the wild card spots. And now they have Philly, Washington, Philly, Boston, Boston uh, to wrap up February. And then the first week of March, they have Buffalo, New Jersey, New Jersey. Then I know I'm looking ahead a couple weeks. It's Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Boston, Boston, Philly, Philly, Washington, Washington. They have the trade deadline coming up. I think if they enter, if they finish the first week of March and they go, what, 0-3 against the Flyers and then the back-to-back against you guys, they're going to be looking at it of it's almost like a national situation. All right, maybe we're not going to be going on a run here because we have that looming schedule that I just mentioned coming up. Even if we go 500 there, we're not going to make up much ground. What are we doing at the deadline? And I think that's pretty disappointing for where we came in. Nobody expected them to be a cup contender, but they'd be on – outside of the bubble and competing with the likes of the Devils at this point is really disappointing. So I think you start looking at, okay, upcoming free agents that they might want to move. Do they move a guy like Strom once Heedle comes back? Uh, maybe they can find a taker for D'Angelo just to get his full cap hit off the books. Or they just leave him exposed for Seattle for the uh, expansion draft. It's not much you can do. Like Most of their upcoming free agents are bottom the roster depth guys. So um, I think it's 
improvements around the edges or not improvements, but like moves around the edges as you're coming up for the deadline, if things don't go so well, and then you really start evaluating the rest of this year, is Quinn the right guy? And I'm just saying that even if I was a fan of Quinn, if you're, you got to evaluate the rest of this year, the guys in your roster, the coaching staff and make changes. Because if you go through next year and things are pretty much back to normal for the most part, and you're still scuffling along at 500 or just above 500, you're wasting Zabanajad, who's a free agent after next year. You're wasting the prime of Panarin. Kreider's getting older. Like, you got to start making moves here. And just like one random question, how many years has Quinny been at the helm there now? This is his third year. This is his third year. So, I mean, on average, when you hire a coach, it's about three to five years is your expectation as to what to get. Do you think this is one thing that could be his saving grace is that this year alone on the cap, you guys have just about $13 million in buyouts. So going forward to next year, that drops off to about four. I mean, that's a lot of money that you guys can put in different places. Like, I don't anticipate you guys bringing back Brendan Smith or Jack Johnson. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ, obviously, big deal. I'm done. <laughs> no, but it's like, obviously, you try to get, trade them and just get something if you guys are completely out of it. But it's like, okay, you have K. Andre Miller coming in to fill a role, but those other two back-end spots, like, are your other defensive prospects ready for that? Or are you going to try to look elsewhere to fill that void? I mean, you got Miller, who's not looking at a place on the first pair. They've used him with Truba, the matchup against Crosby, Malkin, like Tavar, uh, not Tavares, uh, Barzell, and he's looked good. So I think they lucked into a first pair left-hand shot partner for Truba. Um, I don't think that was part of the plan. I think they were going into the year probably expecting to play Brendan Smith or Jack Johnson on a first pair. Fucking shoot me. And Miller kind of developed way quicker than he expected. Uh, but behind him, you have Lindgren with Fox. Like, I don't mind Lindgren at this point. Once he starts coming up for, like, arbitration and money, like, he's a guy you can move on from. I know he's a heart and soul guy, but he's one-dimensional. Uh, behind him right now, you have Libor Hayek, who's actually played pretty well. And the fact that he couldn't get ice time ahead of Smith and Johnson until both guys were hurt is kind of like what the fuck's Quinn doing here. But they have a couple guys. They have Zachary Jones... Uh, who's supposed to be the left-hand shot, Adam Fox, and if that's the case, fucking splooge everywhere. Um, Matthew Robertson, big kid out of Western Canada, 6'4", 220, and he apparently is another big guy who can skate and contribute offensively. So there are some guys coming up. Obviously, you can't just bank on all of them, just developing on a linear level, and, hey, this guy should be ready for 2022, so he's going to be ready. He might need another year. So I think they'll probably bring in cheap like one-year guys for the back end, like Jamie Oleksiak, bring in additional toughness uh, and have the young kids bide their time at Hartford. Or if they earn a spot, they earn a spot. And then you move on from the guys that you signed as veteran free agents. I think my biggest thing is up front. Now you've had the second overall pick, Apokako, have a terrible rookie year. He's looked better this year. But my fucking fear is they're turning him into a two-way forward. He's not a two-way forward. He's, he's played better defensively. He's using his body. But we're, we didn't draft him second overall to be Drew Stafford. You know oh, what I mean? Jesus, you don't want Drew Stafford. Like, Jesus. Like, can you let the fucking kid play? So, I understand, like, you don't want a guy out there who's like, uh, remember Sergei Kostitsin? 
I do remember Sturgeon. <laughs> remember that defensive play where he just stopped skating? <laughs> like, you don't want that, obviously. But, like, you don't want to, like, suffocate the kid's offensive game for that. So that's my one concern is you had a, a kid like Kaka who said, everybody said he was the most NHL-ready forward in that draft, who's had a year and a half of, with those expectations, disappointing play. Now you have Lafreniere, who's supposed to be not Conor McDavid level, but like the tier underneath that, two goals in a year, two points. Like now we have a, now I know he's young, he's eighteen, nineteen, can't expect him to come in. But this is two straight years where you have a first overall and a second overall come in and not do shit in the system. You have Mika, who I guarantee you is probably dealing with some type of injury, not playing well this year. Strom's not playing well this year. Kreider's not playing well this year. Bucinet, like, the Rangers' defense is actually really fucking good. Their goaltending's coming around, but their offensive system is dog shit. And I know last year we had a good offense, but that was a career year, career year by Mika, career year by Strom with Panarin. Now that's not happening, and we're seeing, like, wow, okay, there's nothing going on. Like, Kevin Rooney and Colin Blackwell are our best forwards right now. I, I was actually going to ask you about them because I've seen them playing, and... I don't want to say it's an effort thing, but you see those guys out there buzzing around, and it's kind of like, are these guys the only one that aren't restricted in a sense as to how they're supposed to play because they weren't expected much out of, or are they just more hungry than the others? They like where they are. Like it's just one of those things where you just don't know how to answer. I think it's just they know their role, right? Yeah, I mean, like, you think they're energy guys. Like, okay, this is our role where. Fourth line forwards, we're going to be, you know, cycle the puck, get it deep, play rough. I think what, and again, there's a reason why David Quinn is an NHL head coach, and I'm not. I'm not saying I know more than David Quinn. I'm just saying I think the Rangers might have overreacted to their sweep by Carolina because they all they talked about was we didn't play tough enough. We weren't tough, 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 tough. And I know we talked about this a week or two ago, team toughness with the Rangers. But team toughness is being difficult to play against. Mm-hmm. Not changing your offensive game plan to be a dump-and-chase team when you have Panarin, Sabanajad, Bucinavich, Kreider. I know Kreider is like a big body. Um, Kako and Lafreniere. Like, I think the Rangers went from a system where they let them flow last year and it looked really good to, oh my God, that system got shut down by Carolina. We need to change it. And I, I think they're trying to make like, these pieces don't fit with that type of play. And I think they're suffering for it. I think that's kind of what's going on. Obviously, the talent's not fucking gone. There's a reason why, just to wrap up my point, when you watch the Ranger game, you notice the grinders standing out. It's because they're playing in a grinding system. And you're asking our top six guys to play in a grinding system, and it's not working. And now, with what you just said there, I think it's kind of crucial because if you feel that they have altered their game plan that comes down to coaching no yes that's dude i mean jesus christ i've been going at this all year in the sense of i would watch i'm watching these games i'm like what are they doing like the Kako point about why are they trying to turn him into a two-way selkie candidate here who gives a shit let him play so i think that does come down to coaching jacques martin has come in and done an incredible job with the team's defensive structure and especially helping a guy like miller I think he's done a great job. He's shown why he was a successful NHL head coach for so long. So I think he's over overqualified to be a defensive assistant. I think the Quinn and Brown, the offensive guy, are showing their inexperience with 
their complete overhaul. Like they they lost trust in their system. And I think once that happens, you start losing your team identity. Like entering this year, the Rangers' identity was we can run and gun and hope our goalies can hold down the fort. Now it's we're a good defensive team. It's like, but we don't have the pieces for that. So I think once the coaching staff starts losing trust in their system or losing their identity, once struggles come into play like the Rangers have been going through, how long until the guys start losing confidence in the system and the coaching staff? And now I I guess the biggest question is uh, with this much doubt, are you guys just up against the clock? Like, why not make the coaching change? Like, we've already discussed who's out there. Gerard Gallant's out there. Hitchcock's out there. Like, there are guys out there who could proven that they can turn teams around and now with it it's like are you gonna wait till the off season and then like you said I mean does Seattle already have something in place with Gallant where he's going there like why are you waiting for because coaches want to coach now not later on is it just like do you think they would gas Quinn and then like you said they would just put Martin as the interim and then try to address it in the summer or do you just address it all at once I, I think Quinn is safe until the summer unless the Rangers completely bottom out. Like, they go on, like, a nine-game losing streak or something. Because, say, I I do say what I want about Quinn as a long-term, like, contender head coach. He has done a good job. Like, he changed, take out the off-ice stuff. He turned around D'Angelo's career. Made him, like, one of the league's best offensive defensemen, like, helped him flourish. He helped turn Puchnevich into a guy who's willing to drop the gloves of Jeremy Lorzon. Like, obviously, you don't want him doing that, but, like, Puchnevich was the guy who just floated. And now he competes physically. He still hasn't lost his offensive game for the most part. Like, he has—Quinn has done his job for the most part that he was brought in for in terms of reset the culture and help the young kids. The only problem is the young kids are ahead of schedule or should be ahead of schedule— I think they're, the team's kind of passed by that timeline. I think the Rangers are looking at this as a three- to five-year build, and now it's a two- to four-year build, and we're in year three. So I think that's the issue. So I think they wait until the summer to evaluate how the year goes. But if I'm not firing Quinn just to fire him unless it, the team tunes him out, like they did with Torts at the end of his time here. If Gallant has a deal with Seattle or something and he's going there, there's still one more guy out there. Bruce Boudreaux, baby. And I mean, currently he's in Jersey. He's doing all the stuff for NHL Network, so he's there. I know. Like, can you imagine a Boudreaux system with? And the Rangers keep pushing for Eichel. Like, all I keep hearing is and reading about the Rangers are incessantly calling Buffalo, and they they have also called Florida about Barksoff. Can you imagine the Rangers next year with a Gallant or a Boudreaux-led team with Panarin, Lafreniere, Kako, Zibanejad, Kreider? And one of Eichel and or Barksoff. And that's just your top six bleeding into your top nine where you have Kravtsov coming in, Heedle coming Like, then the defensive structure is kind of fixed because of what Martin's done. And then you have the young kids in goal. Like, that's why I'm like, you have a chance here. If this is what it's going to be like under Quinn, like you lost faith in the system, you got to bring in a guy who knows his system works. Like, he knows it works. And those two guys know it works. Yeah, guys who are committed to it. Yeah. All right, who who do you have for uh, picks and game of the week, lock of the week? Uh, so my game of the week is actually going to be our first game against you guys simply because it's the first game where fans are allowed back in the arena at Madison Square Garden for a Rangers game, obviously a limited capacity, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. The infection rate's going down, the death rate's going down, the vaccination rate 
is spiking around the country. It's just going to get better as the spring comes through. So it's just nice that it's kind of like there's going to be fans in the sands. And I don't know. That's why it's my game of the week. Uh, My lock of the week is actually going to be, where was it? Um, I'm going to go for it one more time. All right. I'm going Thursday, February 25th, on the road, the Flames over Ottawa. And I know that bit me last week, but I got to go. It's I'm playing roulette, baby. There's no way Black's going to come up twice in a row. <laughs> I, I can't wait for you to bet that because it's just, know what it's going to be? It's every time you bet against the Sens, they're going to shove it up your hoop. So keep betting them. Like, I think it's great. You're doing me the favor. Um, I, I got to get the clip from last week and put it in there just saying that. I said, don't bet Toronto against Ottawa because Ottawa <laughs> already beat them this year. And sure enough, um, my game of the week are two teams that have been just on absolute fucking fire. And that is a uh, Carolina at Florida. The two of them have just mm. been absolutely ripping it up. Florida. And, great year, man. Yeah. I mean, ever since the delayed start and the COVID, like they've been tearing it up as for my lock of the week. I'm going the Bruins at the Rangers on Sunday <laughs> in prime time. It's going to be just like me, you, Mr. Murph and big Kev were there. The Bruins are going to pull one out. It'll be three, one after the empty net. All is good, my friend. I will say that the, unless the Rangers win uh, the first of the back-to-back against you guys, it's likely going to be uh, Georgiev and goal for that Sunday game. So a little bit better of a shot. Not shitting on a kid, but Igor has been on a roll lately. All right. Hey, that's fine. I mean, we'll just put Halak in there because you know how good you guys have luck against him. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Even since his Islander days. <laughs> um, who do you have for uh, shout-outs? Shoutouts this week. I, I I talked to Reader yesterday, so he was like, "Hey man, you got to shout me out again." I said, "All right, I can do that." So big shout out to Reed. <laughs> uh, I got a shout out for uh, Fastville and Mainzy for telling me that I am John Moore. I'm just severely underpaid. Uh, big <laughs> shout out to the misses. Uh, last week was February vacation, so we spent a couple of days together. Me and her went away, and uh, it was nice. Just me, her, and the kids. All was good. Back to work this week. Um, got a huge thing tomorrow with my grievance with that work so um uh-uh. hoping that uh the good guys will win one so th- th- that's what i got there who you got i got a shout out this week he had very good timing sending this text today but our pal our co-founder oh boy still college roller hockey a guest of the show twice michael paul insaldi is a father again they're expecting again, or is is he a dad again? He's a dad again. This motherfucker kept it so under wraps that he just sends a group text message to uh, me, Scott, Neil, Becker, and Phil, just being like, hey, guys, welcome Henrik Clark and Saldi, born Monday, February 22nd, yesterday, from the time of this recording. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of the name. Got a little Hank back in my life. But, uh, yeah, Second second kid, man. Dude, that motherfucker. Like, nothing. Like, nothing. Nothing. I knew something was up because he didn't play fantasy football this year. I'm like, it's just unannounced. He needed to save the 50 bucks. <laughs> and I was just like, why isn't he playing? And nobody said anything. And, he, like, nothing was said. I've checked in with Mike. We've talked. Not one word. All of a sudden, bam. Hey, I had a second kid. So uh, shout out to Mike and Renee on that one. I know Renee did all the work there. Um, and she'll continue doing all the work. Uh, but shout out to him. And also, in that same conversation, congratulations are on the way to our friend Becker because he's expecting a kid. 
Becker shot at the empty net? He shot at the empty net. <laughs> Becker, come on. I mean, Mike's one thing, but Becker's a whole nother. <laughs> so 50 days until Gerdhart DeWitt Becker arrives to the world. So while you and Mike and Becker and a lot of my other friends are, you know, producing human life, I'm just kind of floating through life here trying to work a set up a remote work from Greece for the end of the year. Having a, well, I have my own kid here. I was going to say, just being the best dog dad you can be. Dog dad and everything else. So, but congratulations to Mike and Renee. Congratulations to Becker. Um, But yeah, that was my shout out for this week. Wow. Congratulations to Renee. I'm just going to (laughs) say like, Mike had like texted me a couple weeks ago saying how, oh, um, you know, you should come up and, and come skating up at the house. Like, imagine that I walk in there and fucking Renee has this <laughs> massive belt that I don't even know about. I'm like, what? Like, I'd probably have to sign, like, a non-disclosure. You can't discuss it. It never happened. <laughs> Put your phone away. You can't take any pictures. You weren't like, wow, holy crap, congrats. I'm just, I was I not expecting not, that. I hope I'm not overstepping uh, boundaries here with Mike, uh, but the text message that he sent us was out of the blue, keep in mind. I was conducting an experiment with Renee on what happens when you drink margaritas excessively when COVID started. <laughs> we ended up making one of these guys meet Henrik Clark and Saldi. Hank was born yesterday morning, which happened to also be National Margarita Day. <laughs> what are the odds that it's born on National Margarita Day? So, but yeah, congrats and congrats, Mike, on having sex for the second time in your life. Uh, wow. Congratulations, pal. That... <laughs> two for two. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, <laughs> it's a gift. But uh, yeah, so that's my shout out for this week. Uh, congratulations. That's why I said before we recorded, I was going to hold off on telling you because I wanted to see your reaction live. Yeah, that was good. I I was not expecting that at all. <laughs> um, fuck. Yeah, everybody. Thank you for listening as always. Uh, next week, hopefully we have a little bit more to talk about in the NHL. There's only a couple of things this week, but I mean, we can ramble on for an hour as you guys know every week. So we'll go from there and we will catch you next week for another jam packed action episode a two, five and 10. Benny hit him with it. Get in my backseat, honey pie. And all they said is like it's mine. Because it's just good.